0: So um, wh- last month, month before that, um, we had a, one of our members of our church had a, an opportunity to go on a missions trip, and they spent uh, a couple weeks in Uganda. Uh, Charles Holt has uh, been, kids can go with Miss Haley. Thank you for the wave. <laughs> I wouldn't have seen tons of people leaving service otherwise. Sometimes we're just oblivious to things, so you need that extra push. Um, Charles Holt uh, was, had the opportunity to go to Uganda. He leads a mission, that a medical mission, and uh, they go back each year. This is the first time they've been able to go back since the pandemic had begun. Uh, Charles isn't able to be with us today. He's traveling up uh, up north, um, but he has a video he wanted to share with us, and he's gonna come actually share next week a little bit uh, personally, but I told him that we would play, um, play this update f- um, today. Uh, since next week, we're not gonna have quite as much time during our service. And so if you go and give your attention to the screen, we'll give a little bit of an update for what's been happening.
1: That Caring Hands has hosted for over the last 10 to 12 years here in Uganda. It's a yearly event and we travel to many places in Uganda to bring the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel and a medical team to treat the local Ugandans here free of charge and give them a chance at the life that they can live this is day two of a two-day medical camp yesterday we had many people approximately 300 to 400 today everybody who left from yesterday let the rest of this town know that we were here we're helping we're here to help them and all medication and treatment is free the doctors and the medical team here have done this for many years we have a few new ones and they treat patients constantly here full-time in Uganda but they share their efforts and come on this two-day adventure this time we've seen probably at least a thousand patients and they just keep coming As you can see in the camera behind me, the crowds are big. We have various departments, various disciplines in medicine. We have a surgical team, we have an ENT team, we have an ophthalmological team, we have pediatrics, we have general medicine, and we have mental health services. Plus we have ancillary services. We provide all the pharmacy uh, medications here for free. We have people who test for HIV, who do do blood draws, and it's really quite an operation to get 50 medical personnel to travel all the way from Kampala to come to a small town like this. It's rather arduous. Sometimes the roads aren't complimentary, but we push on. But we also have a spiritual team that brings the gospel of Christ to these communities these communities that we go to are usually very far away from major um, metropolitan centers and bringing Christ to some of these people they this is the first time they've actually heard the salvation the gospel story and it's a what a privilege that is and so what we try to do is this medical team will come to our local community and they will spend four days before the medical camp arrives going door-to-door house-to-house evangelism preaching the gospel prayer walks and also advertising that the camp is coming Um, we hold uh, crusades and then during the day um, our agricultural team will also instruct and uh, educate the local population of how to improve their economic situation. And with that, by the time um, the medical camp comes and sets up, the whole community has understood that something very special is coming and it brings hundreds and thousands of people to share in this wonderful gift of God that we do. I want to especially thank all of you who have supported us financially and more more prayerfully because we encountered some really specific struggles as we always do in these uh, and overcame each one of them and to produce what you're seeing here a very successful medical camp and later tonight hopefully many lives come to Christ thank you all and I, um, I, I I bless you all the ways that you have helped us, this Caring Hands team, to do this wonderful ministry for Christ.
0: Okay, like I said, Charles will be back next week and he'll have an opportunity to share about um, some things that have been happening and uh, some things that they have coming up this next year as they intend they to go back. Um, I want to update you all on the situation we had here at the church. Uh, we've been a little bit under attack this week. Uh, we're not uh, facing uh, physical attack. Nobody's burning our houses down like many believers are facing around the world. But we had a, an online attack this week, and many of you probably are already aware of that. You got our emails, or you might have received some other emails. Um, so hopefully uh, we've made you alert before anybody was hurt from that. Um, but basically what we happened, we just kind of want to update you on that so that you're aware of what's happening. Um, we had a, a breach here at the church. I want to thank our team. Uh, our staff was a- amazing in how quickly they reacted to it. I think we had the person locked out of our accounts um, within five to ten minutes. Uh, they didn't access any finances or anything of that nature, but what happened is they got, uh, got into our uh, some of our, um, our online contact lists. And uh, in that five minutes, they were able to take um, some snapshots or whatever and get several email addresses. And that seems to be the extent of what they've been doing. And so several of you have received emails. Asking from me, um, and it wasn't for me. It was just that the what they're doing is they're they're creating these fake accounts, and so they they create a new Gmail account called Jeff Niles at dwittyfree.gmail.com, which has nothing to do with our church, it has nothing to do with our server. They just create these bogus these bogus names, and they're pretending to be me. And um, and s- so since I'm the pastor here, they decided that I'd be the face of their their uh, scam, I guess. And so they stole my picture, they stole my name, they sign all the letters with my name and my title, um, and then they've been sending those emails out asking for you to handle something discreetly, and then the follow-up email asks you to help out with uh, some gift cards um, that women with cancer, they're trying to surprise them and give them some money, and it's something like that. It's a, it's a pretty common scam. It's pretty sick. But um, anyway, the emails are not from us. Uh, the emails don't belong to us. It's somebody's completely off-site, and we've been working with the local authorities. Like I said, uh, our team was on it, and within five minutes, they had things locked down, and um, over the weekend, uh, we've been taking different measures to, uh, to keep them out, but also um, to make sure that that doesn't happen again, so we're instituting a, a few steps to make sure that, um, that they're not able to pull off the same fraud that they did. Uh, th- those people are pretty good at what they do. So what we need from you, uh, first of all, your prayers, uh, just continue to pray that we would be able to handle things graciously, that our testimony with local authorities uh, would be one in which that the local authorities would see Christ in us. Um, uh, what I really need you to do, um, a- as well as the prayers, is don't send gift cards. Uh, it's not us. And so don't don't uh, respond to the individuals. But if you would forward those emails to me, uh, the more I have in a text version that I can copy and paste and give to the local authorities, uh, that, that would help. And so um, anyway, please please forward those on to my personal email account. Uh, so that I can be working with the uh, the authorities on that. So thank you for your patience, and uh, we're sorry for any inconvenience that this has caused to many of you, and sorry for some of the email addresses and probably phone numbers that are, are out there, but at this point, it seems like the scam is, is one's email and typical of a lot of the other ones we receive. Unfortunately, just happened because they stole our contact list and, and my ID. So. Um, so we apologize for that, um, but thank you for your prayers and thank you for your patience, and that's kind of what's happening. Well, with that, though, um, I wanted to wait and talk about that until we had more people here so that everybody was um, familiar with what was happening. But um, let's go to our God in prayer and thank him for what he's doing in our lives and his protection and for his word. Lord God, we we do thank you for your provision for us. Uh, We thank you that in times of attack like this, that you are still faithful, that um, you are working all things out for your glory and for our good. And so we trust you for that. And lord we we thank you for the way that things were handled this week the professionalism that uh, the staff members here at the church handled things uh, the way the leadership handled things and uh, we thank you that uh, it doesn't seem anybody was uh, officially harmed other than maybe just some lack of sleep for a few people father we do pray for this individual who has attacked our church and the people in our church Uh, we pray that you bring salvation to them Uh, we pray that that uh, they would hear the gospel that they would learn of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for their sins, and might they find forgiveness, not only for this, but, but for all the sin in their life. Uh, we pray that you would grant them grace and peace, and that, um, that you would um, bring them to yourself and bring them to your people so that they would know true hope and true fellowship. Father, we, we pray that as we, um, as we turn to your word today, we pray that you would change us as well. We pray that you would show sin to us in our own lives. We pray that you would show to us areas where we need to grow, where we need to challenge ourselves, um, where your spirit is shining light on some dark areas. We pray that we would have soft, not only ears uh, ears to hear, but soft hearts, that we would respond to your word, and that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit as we walk in obedience to what we find. So please use this time, we pray. uh, direct our attention to to your glorious grace to the goodness of your son Jesus Christ in his name we pray amen well there was a farmer who had a team of horses which one horse consistently worked harder than the others and he told his neighbor once he said they're all willing horses but the one is just willing to pull and the others are just willing to let him all too often uh, leadership in ministry can be that way in over 25 years of ministry experience that I've had, I, I've seen many fellow pastors who, who burn out and they, they leave the ministry altogether. I've seen elders and, and deacons who, who uh, just get tired and, and they can't do it because they're carrying too much by themselves. People burn out and, um, and oftentimes it's because there were very few who were willing to lead and that burden is left to those who are willing to pull. Uh, opposite of this disaster, however, are churches where there are many who are willing to lead, but few who meet God's qualifications for the offices of leadership. Uh, the first church where I, I worked as an assistant pastor was a church where we had a lot of men in the church um, who were willing to serve, willing to work, willing to, to lead if, if, the, if they were called to do so, but the vast majority um, were dis- had disqualified themselves in one way or another according to God's standards. And unfortunately, the, the solution that had been taken was that um, they just appointed these men to leadership anyway, and, and they bypassed God's qualifications by just not calling them elders and deacons. They just said, well, this is our men's board. And so they never gave them the, the title. And uh, what happened is the majority just si- simply followed the orders of the pastor, and we had a, another disaster. And that happens in too many churches as well. Uh, one of my joys at DeWitty Free has been to work with a, a team of elders and deacons and pastors who who take both the responsibilities as well as the standards that have been set by our Lord, they take those with, with great sincerity. And I, I believe, per, I personally believe that the Holy Spirit has greatly used those that have committed themselves to this work. Uh, when I came here, I, I was told by a couple individuals, you know, not to expect to be here very long, that, um, you know, I just was going to get, yeah, things weren't going to go well. And uh, that was not my experience. We, we felt like when we got here, um, we came home. Uh, we, we came to this church, and we thought, what are, what are these people talking about? This, this is home. And uh, for, first, for the first couple of years, I had several people come to me and say, um, are, are you guys doing okay? Are you all right? Are you going to be moving back to Texas? And we're like, no, why would we do that? Uh, we're home. And, and 10 years later, um, we feel exactly the same way. We, we're home, and this is our home church. Uh, we love it here, and, uh, and and so I'm just I'm filled with joy as I as I work with the team of elders and deacons and pastors that I do, and, and the people here in our church that that we serve alongside, and and, and I believe that part of the reason that uh, our church has been so successful and that we felt like we came home and that none of the problems that I was warned about were were ever were ever there was because the Holy Spirit had worked through the elders and the deacons uh, in, in this church and greatly used those that had committed themselves to this work and, and he blessed our church and, and I'm very thankful to him for that uh, recently um, we have a few individuals that are uh, we've asked to consider serving as deacons here at DeWitty Free and um, they're gonna be considering that call over this next couple months and deciding whether they meet the qualifications and have the desire to, to serve in that capacity and after they respond to the leadership committee to the elders and the deacons um, uh, in two months, we're going to have a, a, an, an, our annual meeting. And you'll have the opportunity to say, yes, we agree that, that these people should serve as deacons. And so we'll have that meeting in which we'll select those new leaders here in our church. And so as we've been talking about God's chesed and, and being leaders who serve with chesed, God's loving kindness that is manifest in our lives, um, we, we've turned our attention to what that looks like in leadership. And we considered servant leadership. And what that looked like in the life of our Lord, who was God himself, and yet he showed loving kindness and and compassion towards the people that he led to his church. And um, we've considered that servant leadership that our Lord demonstrated in his own life. But today I would like to turn our attention uh, to consider what the scripture teaches us about the office and the qualification of those who serve as deacons. Uh, it's important that we as a congregation clearly understand what the Scripture teaches us uh, about this, not only so that we can be thinking in terms of, you know, is this something that God would call me to be, but also because all of us should emulate these qualities and these characteristics that are required of the leadership of the church. And also, I think it's important that we consider these things so that we know uh, what it is that we're supposed to test, what it is that we're supposed to evaluate as we look at the individual lives and determine is this person qualified to serve in this way so first of all um we need to ask the question what is it what is a deacon Uh, where does scripture teach us about these leaders and to start with i'd like us to look at a story if you would turn to acts chapter six acts chapter six in the new testament right after matthew mark luke and john you'll find the book of acts the story of the beginning of the church and how it spread throughout the world And in Acts chapter 6, in the beginning of the church, when the church was still just primarily in Jerusalem, we find this story of a crisis within the leadership of this first, the early days of of God's people in the church. The apostles were busy in the early days uh, in which the body of Christ was growing rapidly in Jerusalem. We know that there was a couple occasions where the church grew by thousands in one, one evangelistic meeting. And at this point in history of the church, the 12 apostles basically are serving as the elders of the congregation, which w- a congregation which was in the thousands, and which had spread all over the city of Jerusalem. And we read in chapter 6, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now this isn't a group of people who followed a, a woman named Helen, um, what Hellenists were Uh, Were converts who were Jews, but their families and them as individuals had gone into the the Greek world. And over time, the Hellenists were among people that had kind of collected and and took on the customs of the Greek world. And so they were Jewish, but rather than speak Hebrew, they spoke Greek. And they had a a Jewish faith, but uh, their customs were a little bit different from what it looked like in Jerusalem. They acted like People with customs from around the world and so in a community where the widows were dependent upon the church for its assistance uh, some of the widows ended up being neglected and the hellenists uh, were were being pushed aside and the hebrews again who were also jews but came from a hebrew speaking community uh, were shunning the customs of the hellenists and and some of the widows were being neglected in the church and so the complaint rightfully arose and came to the attention of the apostles, and they had this, this first crisis of, you know, how do we handle this logistical nightmare? And so people were suffering. In verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching, uh, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now I want you to notice a few things as, as we go through this passage and about what they said. Notice how the apostles viewed the role, their role as leaders in, in the Jerusalem church. Um, as they defined it, uh, if you notice, they they served two. They had two primary focus points of their ministry. Did you catch that? What what were they? called to pray and preach the word teach the word and if you look at verses two and four first they, they noted that it wouldn't be right for them to give up the preaching to focus on it on an administrative task that others could handle just as well as they could in verse four uh, they repeat this and note that they were they were they said they were called the prayer and to the ministry of the word and, and so this they what they did is they they picked out they excuse me they asked the congregation to pick out seven men and they instructed them pick out seven men who have business degrees and experience in leadership that's not what it said, okay good, somebody caught that at least, thank you All right. somebody's shaking their head no Um, what'd they say? Um, they say hold an election, pick fourteen popular individuals that are well liked and go to the polls and the seven with the most votes are in that's that's not what they said either Um, and also notice that, that the seven are, are not called deacons in this passage. Um, that title doesn't exist at this point in the church's history. However, the word that's used in verse 2 when they say it's not right for us to give up the preaching of the word, to serve tables, uh, that word serve is, is, uh, is a verb, uh, diakoneo. It, it means to serve. And this is actually the corresponding Greek verb from which the church is eventually going to get the term deacon. And so... So the, the basis of the office that's going to develop throughout church history and in the rest of the epistles, uh, it starts here in this setting where we have these precursors to, to the office of deacons in the church. And, uh, and so what were the qualifications for these seven men who were going to serve as the precursors to biblical deacons? If, if it wasn't a business degree, if it wasn't their experience in working with widows, if it wasn't popularity contest, what was it that, it, that uh, qualified them? The apostles didn't command the people to just select warm bodies. They didn't say just find somebody that's willing. It, it wasn't a popularity contest. It wasn't based on training. Even at this early stage, you have to understand the focus, of, of, the focus was on the character of the individual. And they mentioned three qualifications. Number one, they need to be men of good repute. Two, full of the spirit. And three, full of wisdom. And so these men who were to serve needed to be men of good character who lived their lives under the control of the Holy Spirit and who walked wisely. Uh, Verse 5 describes what happens. Uh, It says, What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. You probably recognize four of those names. We're going to see Stephen and Philip later on in the book of Acts. Um, Stephen's going to be the first martyr of the church. Philip's going to be the one that shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, You probably recognize Timon, but that's a different guy. Uh, This isn't the guy from the Lion King. And uh, you might recognize Nicholas. He's mentioned later on in the book of Revelation um, and actually end up, of going a different direction that was not good later on but seven men were chosen and they served faithfully it seems if you read acts you you, you'll read a bit more about the again those first two Um, but but this is the biblical precedent for the office of deacons Um, this is the precedent for having the congregation play a part in choosing the leaders Uh, one of the things we've been talking about in our leadership is is the process of where do the elders get involved in selecting the deacons and uh there, there's a precedent that that the people choose the elders certainly need to be involved in that precedent And so we're kind of talking about our bylaws and and how we might change a couple things so that we're following this model a little bit more closely but um but there's a precedent that um the congregation plays a part in choosing their leaders a- and at DeWitty free our apostle our excuse me our apostles we please we do not have apostles here Uh, We're not part of the new apostolic reformation. Um, Our elders uh, play a part in appointing new leaders in the church, just as the apostles appointed the men that were chosen by the people. It's the responsibility of the elders of DeWitty Free and the elders of any church to test new leaders before putting them into those positions. But it's also the responsibility of the congregation, of all of us, to examine those that would serve in this capacity and to look not primarily at whether they have a, a resume that, that puts, makes them ideal for that position not primarily to look at them and go wow I just really like that guy he's really cool he makes good Facebook posts the, the main qualification was the character of these leaders that, that we choose and that's still the case today the first crisis of, of leadership in the church um, ended well look at verse 7 and note the final outcome of this event. Uh, We're told that the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So not only are the common people, uh, people of the city coming to know Christ, but even some of the leaders that served at the temple are coming to know Christ. This is awesome. You see, because men were chosen who had the character needed to serve in church leadership, that the church benefited from that. It it was blessed and the church grew. Not only spiritually, not only as people were coming to know Jesus Christ, but but also in number. And Again, these seven esteemed men act as a foundation for the ministry of deacons within the church. And and again, if you compare the noun and the verb uh, uh, and all the different forms of the original word, a deacon, uh, most simply put, is a person served and and then the title deacon came to be an office of those who served in leadership and and i want you to understand it wasn't that the apostles viewed serving as beneath their ministry right did we see that in the passage is it they went yeah this is below us you know we don't take care of widows we don't serve tables um we we just we refuse to do that is that what happened if you look at the words the 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 apostles they themselves were serving and it uses a similar word and in other places we see the apostles serving Uh, we see if you if you did a study of the word throughout the new testament uh, you would find that jesus uses the word of himself jesus commands the disciples to serve and he uses the word uh, for, for deacon in matthew he said the greatest among you shall be your servant guess what word he uses deacon it's the same the same root of the word that we get for the office that's used later on in first timothy chapter one the same letter we're going to look at here in a minute in first timothy chapter one paul said of himself i thank him who has given me strength christ jesus our lord because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service a- and he uses a word that comes from that same root that we that we use for the word deacon as we considered last sunday all of us All of us are called to be servants, Uh, the pastors of our church, the elders of our church, the deacons of our church, anybody that's involved, who who does any leadership in any of the ministries of our church, men, women, children, adults, all of us are called to serve, and all of us are called to servant leadership, and so in all the positions that we've been given in personal life and church life and work life, you are called to be a, a servant leader, and so the title deacon is appropriate because it actually means to serve. And, and like the seven in Acts, uh, like they served in a way that the apostles were able to focus on their, their services of prayer and, and preaching the word, in the same way, Dewey, DeWitty Free also selects deacons to serve in leadership so that the elders and the pastors of our church also are able to serve by focusing on the same thing, prayer. And the teaching of God's word. And so we work alongside of the deacons. And the deacons are accountable to the elders of our church. But um, we're all serving just in, in some different roles. In fact, this is the primary difference between elders and deacons. If you compare the different lists and the different roles throughout the New Testament, the elders are tasked specifically with the teaching and the preaching of God's word. The ministry of deacons, I want you to understand, is a high calling that's vital to the life of the church and and the ministry of I want you to understand that the ministry of deacons is hard work it's not intended for those who are seeking public accolades or for those who are seeking to do the the bare minimum in in ministry together with the overseers, uh, another title for elders um, deacons and elders, pastors, our, our ministry is a ministry of service so what qualifies a deacon to serve well, we've looked at a few of the things that it's not um you know let me ask you many of you work in in businesses that have specific requirements tell, tell me about some of those if if somebody came to you and said i would like to work for your company maybe in your specific department what would be some of the qualifications where you work you don't have to give me the biblical answer on this this is just practical what's that education, education. okay so you work at I wasn't going to be able to pronounce it right. Lyondell. All right, so what would be a typical position that would be hired there? A chemical engineer. Okay, cool. So if I've done chemistry in high school, all right, uh, that would be a start. Okay, that wouldn't do it. So what would be two, two, three qualifications to be a chemical engineer at Lyondell? Four-year bachelor's. Okay. Okay. A little experience in different ways, an internship, something. All right. Good, good, Doug. Physically fit, you dig holes. Okay, so an eighth grader who isn't qualified for the football team at all would maybe be, yeah. just, sorry, you know, it's not going to work for you, you know, if you can't get through the dirt. So, yeah, so physically fit, you'll be climbing over things. Yeah, that, that's an important one when you're surveying. Probably hiking through lots of fields and over lots of hills, huh? That's why Doug looks so good. Anybody else, one more. What's that? ELS, all right. So what would be some qualifications? Basic life support, okay. I, I know basic life support. You're supposed to breathe and supposed to, you know, uh, heart's beating, all right, does that qualify me? No, okay, so what would be two qualifications to Okay, yeah. So definitely some training behind that. I mean, if you're going to be, you know, plugging people into things, you know, and, and feeding them drugs, uh, you probably have to have a little bit of training on how that works, right? I, I'm probably really distorting things. But, uh, but I, you get the idea, right? You, know, you have all these different positions, and, and you wouldn't think of, of hiring somebody off the street. I mean, we wouldn't go to the high school graduations and say, hey, good job. You graduated. We're hiring. Can you show up at 9 a.m.? awesome the job's yours but for some reason when it comes to the church we have these positions that have eternal consequences and for some reason we get this idea that you know we've got a seat open who wants it anybody anybody that will volunteer we need a deacon we just need to fill the position it doesn't matter if you're qualified it doesn't matter if you meet god's qualifications we just want to fill the seat and for some reason that happens in so many churches You have, you have to evaluate the qualifications of the job. And in the scripture, we are given a mandate to examine the qualifications of those who serve in church leadership, whether it's a paid position or a volunteer position. Deacons are too often chosen and appointed for the, for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we look at a man's professional experience. And And we elevate him to a position where he's naturally noticed, or it n- elevates him to a position where he's naturally noticed. Uh, some Some people do it because they desire the prestige. And so the church gladly hands a willing driver the reins. Somebody's outgoing personality um, makes him likable. That often brings a person to the attention of others. And sometimes churches just fill seats on the deacon board merely as a way to encourage people to get involved in the church. He's like, oh, we haven't seen them for a couple months. Let's make them a deacon. That'll get them invested. Wrong. Wrong. That's a bad way of doing it. Various reasons, some very well-intentioned, others that are more just thoughtless, lead many individuals and many churches to positions of church leadership that should never be there. However, uh, there's a better way. God in his, in his goodness, God in his wisdom has provided the church with clear directions for choosing godly men that are qualified for service as biblical deacons. Uh, these qualifications are, are not mere suggestions. I want you to understand that. We, we come to this passage, it's not a, hey, here's an idea, you might try this. Uh, these aren't suggestions, but they serve as a standard for what qualifies and sometimes what disqualifies an individual from, ser- for, from serving as a deacon. Al- Alexander Strzok, uh, who wrote a book called Biblical Deaconship, uh, notes that godly leadership makes a true spiritual difference in the local church. In fact, almost all the instructions on deacons in the New Testament relates to their qualifications. Therefore, we would rather appoint fewer men to serve as elders and deacons Rather do that than to burden the church with those who don't meet the standards that have been set by God himself. The, the primary text that lists the prerequisites for, for deacons is 1 Timothy chapter 3. So turn there with me. The first few verses focus on the qualifications for elders, overseers. Uh, but verses 8 to 13. Like the elders, the deacons are expected to meet a, high, a higher standard before they are appointed to offices of responsibility in the church. And so for a moment, um, while while you're turning there, I'm just gonna take a look at the section right before it about elders, and and look at the first phrase in verse two. In verse two, it says, Therefore, an overseer must be... Stop right there. Did you catch the gist of that? Here are God's instructions to the church. And and does the passage say, The following are lofty goals to shoot for. Did Did it say... Pick elders who will fill the seat no matter what their qualifications. After all, it's just volunteer ministry. It doesn't say that. Paul told Timothy in this book that that specifically this book addresses uh, to Timothy, who is a pastor, a young pastor in, in a great church in Ephesus. He's instructing Timothy, this is how church is done. This is what structure looks like in the church body. This is how we do leadership. And so there's all these different details that are addressing the leadership and, and pastoral ministry of of timothy and this is a young pastor who was supposed to lead and shepherd this church and he told him an overseer an elder must be and then in verses two through seven he lays out the qualifications for those who serve in this capacity now look at verse eight deacons likewise must be did, did you catch that again uh, again, these are, these are not optional bonus features. Th- this isn't some program that you buy and, and, you know, tack on something that, you know, oh, that, oh, that'd be cool if we could get that with it. When, when we appoint deacons to lead the various ministries of DeWitt E. Free, we, we do not start with job experience. Uh, we, we don't look at the positions that need to be filled and say, oh, we're, we're, we're going to be missing a deacon for the missions ministry next year. Who, who has experience in missions? That, that's not where we start. We don't look at the positions that need to be filled and choose somebody that would be best for the deacon of missions. We, we do try to consider among those who are on the board who is best suited for those different roles to lead the teams that they're going to work with. But just like we saw earlier, the emphasis in 1 Timothy, like in Acts chapter 6, is on a specific set of qualifications for deacons. This is a command that Timothy had to honor. The deacons, chosen in Ephesus, had to be. And and that command remains in place for the church in DeWitt. Deacons, likewise, must be. And and then a list of qualifications follows. Uh, Verses 8 through 9 is going to list five moral and spiritual requirements. And I know your notes say five moral and spiritual requirements, and then there's only four spots. That's on purpose. That's not a mistake. I'll explain that in a second. Uh, This list uh, parallels the three that we read about in Acts chapter 6 for the 7. Verse 10 is going to mandate the need for careful evaluation and testing those who serve as deacons. And then verses 11 to 12 are going to list uh, additional family requirements, family qualifications. Uh, we're just, we're just going to look at verse 8 today, and, and we'll examine the rest of this passage next week because uh, we need a little bit more time to, to look through this and, and to consider these things. Um, and so if you'd read verse 8 with me, we're going to look at the first four of five moral and spiritual requirements that are listed in this text. We'll look at the fifth and then the other qualifications next week. In verse 8 we read, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So Let's just consider what those mean. The, the first qualification is that deacons must be dignified. Oh, what does that mean, right? Uh, we, can, we can make that mean so many things. So what did, what did Paul mean when he said that to Timothy? Does, does this mean that he has to wear a tie in church? Is that what it means to be dignified? Do I see any ties today? I'm not wearing one. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that's maybe not what it is. Um, Does dignified mean that he must be a gentleman and understand proper etiquette? The the term that Paul uses is a general one. Okay. Uh, Just like you hear the word dignified and that can mean so many things. it, It meant the same thing for Paul. It was a general term, but it speaks of the necessity of deacons being worthy of honor. Some translations use the word serious, uh, which does not imply that they are joyless. It, it doesn't imply that they lack a sense of humor, but rather they, they need to be taken seriously by others when it comes to their moral and spiritual character. I, if you look at a person, and, and I said, we're, we're considering that person as deacon, and people went, <laughs> okay, that, that might be a hint that maybe that dignity that, that seriousness of how people take the person as a leader um, might be in question. Th- does their behavior inspire respect? A synonym was used in Acts chapter 6 of the first deacons, uh, or men who served in, in the precursor position. Um, they were to be men of good repute. And, and in that passage, the concept is clarified by the next two things. They, being a man of good repute, meant that they were full of the spirit and full of wisdom Uh, the the, um the the concept of being full of something in scripture uh, it 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 has it has this meaning of being controlled by something it wasn't some magical formula of you know if i do this this and this then all of a sudden there's going to be sparkles you know and i'm full of the spirit um full of the spirit meant i i'm being controlled by the holy spirit i i am a, a with what the spirit has given in his word and i'm walking in obedience to him and so i am being controlled by the spirit as i walk in obedience i'm being controlled by wisdom it it, a a deacon must have a good reputation that rises from character which is controlled by the holy spirit and wise living there are some commentators that feel that the term dignified is a a generic umbrella term and then the rest of this passage is going to further um, define what this looks like um, to be dignified in the church and and there may be something to that Uh, again if you go back to verse 2 the first qualification given for elders was this therefore an overseer must be above reproach Uh, it's a synonym a similar word to the word that we have here for deacons being dignified and so i think it's true that the remainder of the passage is going to help us better understand the concept of what dignity looks like in this office but, but as we test those who are being considered to serve in this office, our first question should be whether this individually simply passes a general test of having a good reputation as a man who is controlled by the Holy Spirit and controlled by wisdom. If he's generally known as a nice guy, but it's also obvious that he's not walking in obedience to God's word, then, then that's not biblical dignity. He doesn't pass the test if he's generally known for foolish behavior then he doesn't pass the test a a deacon must be dignified the the next three qualifications are stated as negative traits that we need to shun Uh, number two it says not double-tongued okay so let's start with the obvious okay this is not a prohibition against some physical abnormalities or somebody that had a, a delinquent youth and did things to their face Alright, that's that's not what he's talking about here um what what this what what is this saying about those qualified to serve as deacons i i I believe what it's doing is this speaks to the deacon's integrity does he say one thing to one person and then something else to the next person you see how that works he's double-tongued he's speaking we, we say in america he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth i only have one side of my mouth i think but um You know, so, double-tongued. Does he say one thing and then say something else to the next person? Is he honest? Is he consistent in the words that come out of his mouth? A a deacon must be a man of his word. So, so when we consider those who have been nominated to serve as deacons, and when our nomination committee looks at at the men in our church to, to select those that might be serving as deacons, we ask if there's anything that disqualifies him in terms of his trustworthiness. And we ask him. Uh, when we approach the person, uh, that that's not the end of the process. We, our process looks something like this: we have what's called a, a nomination committee. Tho- that committee is is appointed by the leadership of our church, and that nomination committee meets with one of the the deacons, and they select people from the church that are qualified they believe to serve in that capacity. And the elders play a role in that process, and and we, the the leadership, the elders, excuse me, the elders and the deacons combined consider those qualifications and consider this individual and then if uh, they pass that test then we go to that individual and say would you be willing to serve and we've put together a deacon training manual over this last couple years to help that individual walk through what being a deacon is going to entail and so we ask them to to go through that that manual and to consider those things Um, the first few chapters are similar to what i'm to this sermon series uh, and a lot of similar content but but we ask the individual, that we don't stop the process with the leadership saying, yeah, we think this is a right person, for a right fit. We ask the individual to search their own heart and say, you need to look at these qualifications because you know yourself better than all of us do. And, and you need to ask yourself, um, and, and your wife needs to ask you, you need to pray about this together. Um, does this type of integrity characterize you? The third one, uh, not addicted to much wine. Oh boy, we could preach a whole sermon on that one, right? We could do a whole series on each of these. Um, this next requirement is is that a deacon must not be enslaved to alcohol. That now I want you to notice that this does not mean this does not mean total abstinence, um, but a deacon must live as an example of self-control. I, if a drink is occupying the mind of the deacon or controlling him either in the sense that he's intoxicated and he's controlled by alcohol uh, physically or uh, in the sense that, that he's addicted to it and he's controlled by this addiction. If in either sense he, he is controlled by some sort of substance, then he is not going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 a, a great passage that helps us actually define what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul contrasts the believer whose walk is either controlled by wine or by the Spirit. And what, what happens when a person drinks wine too much of it? They they start doing things that's still them, right? Can I can I say, well, the wine made me do it? No, they they are just as accountable for the people they kill, for the things that they do, the stupid things that happen. They're accountable for that. It's them. But in, in one way, they are being controlled by the substance. They're there, but, but something else is influencing their behavior. And in a similar way, to be controlled by the Spirit, I, I'm, still under, I, I'm still me. I'm still accountable for the things that I do, but I am being influenced by the Holy Spirit, who is using His Word to direct my life. And the believer's life is to, be, uh, to, to show that contrast. I, I'm not to be controlled by other things like alcohol that are influencing my behavior, but I'm going to be influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And like elders who also must be self-controlled and must not be drunkards, um, the deacon must lead others as examples of those who are filled by the Spirit rather than being controlled by the things that they consume. So we ask those who are nominated if this requirement describes their character? Are are they disqualified by their love for any substance? Are they demonstrating self-control in their life? And then finally, the last one, verse eight, number four, uh, is not greedy for dishonest gain. You see, God also mandates that deacons and elders demonstrate integrity in their finances. Deacons are often more involved with the church's financial resources due to the nature of their ministry. And one one can thus find themselves tempted to use their position for financial gain. And the lure of money has led many church leaders to, to ruin. And it's for this reason that church leaders are called to the highest levels of integrity in their use and their management of money. Therefore, as elders, again, we have, a, we have, we have to consider if a person is disqualified by their love of money or their greed for, for dishonest gain. But that, that's not where this ends, is it? You, you, may, you may be tempted to think that this sermon was only for those few individuals that are considering whether they should be deacons or not. Um, it, it was for them, but uh, I, want you to, I want you to consider also how you were called to live out these instructions as well. This is a passage for all of us. First, as we serve our Lord together, as we consider the one that we are ambassadors of. He he died on the cross for our sins, transformed our lives, and, and we are called to be ambassadors to the world of his grace. We're his representatives. And we represent, our church is a representative of our Lord who died for us. And so therefore we have to take this mandate seriously regarding the qualifications of our leaders. Again, two months from now, uh, our annual meeting uh, will we'll vote on these individuals. And it's not only the responsibility of the elders to test them, but it's your responsibility as members and attenders at our congregation to, to give consideration to their quality, the, quali- the qualifications of these men. And just like that early church was commanded to pick from among them those who, who met God's qualifications and then could serve, every single one of us has a voice and, a, and a, 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 a part in this, we must take that with great seriousness. Part of the reason that our leaders are called to such a high standard, also number two, is that they are examples to the rest of the church. And so, when you look at this list of qualifications, don't 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 look at it and go, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm not a deacon, so <laughs> I guess I can pursue dishonest gain." Right? No obviously not Uh, all these qualities that we find that are mandatory for leaders in the church are qualities that every one of us should be emulating and pursuing in our own walk with the lord and so as we look through these each one of us should go does that characterize me and so take the time to look through this list and ask yourself the same questions that we ask our deacons that are nominated Ask, does this requirement describe your character? And how do you see yourself growing in this area? It, it doesn't mean that everybody's perfect in this area. There, all of us have had undignified moments in our life, haven't we? And so this isn't saying that there's something in your past or there's an event that, that has disqualified you forever. Sometimes that's the case. But uh, this, this doesn't mean that we're perfect and that we... We are absolutely flawless in all these areas, but it, it means that I'm qualified in these areas, that, that these describe my character and, and I'm growing in these areas so that I can be even better qualified as I move along my walk with the Lord. And then also we ask our, our nominees, are, are you disqualified in any way by how you're living? If so, what measures are you going to take in order to serve your risen Savior? How are you going to walk in a worthy a manner worthy of the one who died in your place and so let us give attention to god's word in our personal lives as well as how we look at our leaders and choose our leaders here in our church let's pray father we thank you for this very practical passage we we thank you that you haven't just left us to our own devices you haven't uh just left the church to figure it all out on our own but you've given us your spirit who leads, and who is guiding your people. We thank you that you've given us the scripture and that you use the apostles and those who are closely tied to them to give us the the word of God in which you, your spirit, spoke to them and used them directly to give us words to live by, practical instructions for life, for godliness, for how we do church, for how we do life. And so we thank you for this passage. We thank you that have something to go by I, I pray that that as we look at these characteristics that you would help each one of us that, that we each one of us would reflect on our own walk with you and if we see something that causes us to not be dignified in a manner that you've called us to be might we address that might we seek your holy spirit to change those things in our lives as we learn to walk by your spirit in wisdom and in control of him it's in your Son's precious name we ask this.